Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the first ever podcast of Excalibros, the podcast where we go over old and current issues of Excalibur and Exiles. Uh, I'm Georgie, and joining me today and every day, hopefully, is... Dan. <laughs> There's a lot of X um, going on when you, in, when you like Exiles, Excalibur, future foremost Xs. I, I do think sometimes sometimes I do think they should just drop the E's and just have the full on X and go nineties extreme, which they did for a while. Dan, maybe if we start getting uh like some patrons we can have like an X's uh a bonus where we just talk about people we used to date. <laughs> maybe that's what these books are about. <laughs> um, who knows? As we delve deeper into it. C S M Georgie is, for want of a better word, an Excalibur sort of virgin, whereas I'm not. And so we thought it would be fun to talk about Excalibur together, where he can criticise my tastes as a child <laughs> as, we go, as, as we go forward with the crazy hijinks of um, that team. But we also thought, because we both love Blink and we both remember loving Exiles, um, that we'd also cover the other X EX um, comic, and I think um, weirdly enough, I think the two books bizarrely match each other because they are the most different X books that um, like long running X, X titles that have ever really been produced. One essentially is just for want of a better word, batshit crazy. And uh, for quite a quite a lot of its uh, run, and the other is uh, a a constant what if scenario. So, which is also bad shit crazy. I mean, you could say that about both of them. One is crazy, exactly. the other is Excalibur. I mean, they're both like really <laughs> wild and out there. So I think that I think they work really well together. Um, and and for our like sort of first episode, we thought we'd uh, before we jump on talking about the first issues of each. Uh, book would give like little like sort of put them in hist- their little historical context of the X continuity, which isn't beyond your you listeners as uh, listeners there's <laughs> you listeners are being able to just crank out a Google search like I did, but um, so you're I not think a historian. I thought I, I thought I got you on here because you were the X Men historian. <laughs> I thought you got me on here because we're British and half of the Excalibur team is British. <laughs> So, um, so we we can see if Claremont gets his uh, British language uh, right. Hint: He doesn't. Um, <laughs> but, um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I do love how small his UK is. I think there's only like three cities he ever visits um, in his UK. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but as we're dealing with Excalibur first, we might as well talk about sort of. Uh, where where everyone came from as you may or may not be aware when Excalibur was formed um, it had Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride from X-Men uh, Rachel also from X-Men but I'd, I'd consider just like a almost like a sort of plot device from Days of Future Past yeah um, then the sort of has-been hero Captain Britain and nobody knows his girlfriend Megan um, as the main crooks of the team. So 
before we pick up the book, um, Kent and Kitty were, were injured, essentially, and they're um, on Muir Island recovering from the mutant massacre. And that was like uh, a couple of years before Excalibur actually... In, in publication terms, that was like two years before Excalibur. So it was like 86 they were injured. They weren't like allowed to sort of do anything until 88 when Excalibur came out. And that really um, plays a part in uh, at least the early issues. You'll see that they have trouble def- using and controlling their powers. Definitely. Um, it's not all fun and games, for sure. Especially not for Kitty in the first the first couple of issues. Um, Captain Britain sort of has bounced around a lot. And I suppose the most like prominent one was um, the Brian Braddock, um, twin quote-unquote twin brother of Psylocke because um, they do not look like twins mm-hmm. they literally like one is a blonde blue-eyed Aryan beefcake the other is Psylocke mm-hmm. I should have said the other is, Bri- the other is Brian because then it made more sense <laughs> but basically Psylocke took over as Captain Burton for a little while um, around the same time as the Mutant Massacre she was injured um, Brian went and saved her and became Captain Brunt again. And essentially, the biggest thing, which in, like sort of forms the team, is that this book, uh, Excalibur, came out late '88. Early '88 was the fall of the mutants, and our dear X-Men uh, died, or well, faked their death, or sort of died, and then a god let them all come back. It's all very, very X-Men convoluted. You get the gist. Mm. But according to our Excalibur characters and where this book picks up, they believe they're all dead. So that's that's where we are when, when we're about to meet them. And this first issue is kind of like um, what um, Clermont did with New Mutants, where it was a big... The, the first issue is um, called The Sword is Drawn, and it's like a prestige, oversized issue. Uh, I imagine if it was out today, it'd be about nine dollars because it's uh, three dollars, according to according to my phone cover, yeah. it is literally three dollars and twenty five cents at the moment. So it must be. It like, would be be like first issue fifteen dollars plus. But don't don't worry. There's there's backups about characters you don't care about and artists that you're <laughs> not interested in. It's what you want from life, but we're here for the main. We're here for the main goods, and so to sell. Um, I've got a really interesting cover. Um, I'm wondering if yours is the same. I don't know if this is the real cover. Because I'm reading these in an epic collection, which if you do want to read Excalibur, outside of using Marvel Unlimited, uh, I suggest buying these epic collections. They've got like the first 11 issues, or the first year of Excalibur in in the first volume. And um, they reprinted all of the, like sort of, when when it came out, how much it was, the original covers and stuff like that. And I'm intrigued to see to see what your cover was, Georgie? Because did you get it digitally? Or yeah, I'm, I'm looking just... at it on Marvel Unlimited. Um, so, you know, this site can be kind of suspect sometimes in what they've uploaded and what they've used, what was original and what they found. Um, partially because they didn't keep everything um, from when they were creating, especially way in the past. I, I've heard mm. stories of kids used to be able to go get a tour of the Marvel uh, offices and they would cut out uh, pieces of old comic books of like master uh, paper and and hand them out so like a lot of the things that they put up onto Marvel Unlimited they've had to like 
like seek out and restore and so some of it I don't think is you know correct how it was actually released however uh, the cover I have is uh, the the team fighting a bunch of werewolves and crazy looking people and then the back cover is this I don't know like this 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 turtle this uh <laughs> <laughs> yes the back cover uh we will get to him this metal turtle head <laughs> i'm not sure what what's going on staring into my soul yeah. <laughs> those eyes those are terrible i love this front cover a little bit because if you were to look at it you'd actually think that the blue woman the larger blue woman was a part of the team yeah, as the yeah, way you it's would. Fr- you'd be like oh wow who's she when really that's not what it's about but yeah i actually quite like the front cover i find uh, apart from um I've never been a fan of mental powers having this weird halo around people's heads and firing like beams at people. Right. So the, the I'm not a massive fan of that, but that's just the stylistic choice. I think my favorite thing on the whole panel is Kit, Kitty's face. And the whole she's smiling. Just, it's <laughs> so much, so much fun. Um, and to be honest, I actually it's it's cheesy, but I really like uh, what they did with the title font. I really do like the swords. So many swords. Um, oh, in yeah, that the great. The font's great. Um, I, to, uh, not a spoiler alert, but I really do love the Captain Britain costume. Even though he goes through a couple of changes, they all, I don't know, they're very interesting to look at. I, I, like, I, I love playing him on the, uh, the Marvel Lego games as well. Just, I just love how his costume looks and how the X's go. and It's just, I, I love... He I, definitely I, looks at it. He embraces our flag, that's for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> but it, it feels in a way that's not like overly patriotic. It just feels very like colorful and superhero-y. Yeah, I think he looks great. I think all the characters, aside from maybe uh, Megan, um, I feel like all the characters have quite a distinct sort of visual. Sure. I, think later, I think Megan's powers allow her to be um, more visual. Later in, in later issues uh, and and in this issue actually, it's a bit weird when we first see her. But yeah, I always have uh, not problems, but it freaks me out a little bit is Rachel's costume with all the studs and spikes on it. <laughs> I feel like yeah, she's gonna take take me into like an S and M dungeon and have her way with me. Yeah, I've never understood like the <laughs> that costume, um, or any costume with like studs on that, but. Um, it was the eighties, so we can we can let it fly, I suppose. Sure. So yes. So um, this issue and a chunk of this run is uh, written by Chris Claremont, who uh, co-created Excalibur with Alan Davis, who is the penciler for this. Um, Paul Neary is the inker. Uh, letters by I cannot Tom Azuchowski. Uh, oh my god. There we go. And um, colorist uh, Glennis Oliver, who I have to say brings a lot to this first issue. The colors are just to die for. I absolutely adore the way this book is colored. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that as we as we go forward. Um, so yes, how do we start, Georgie? Where do we begin? All right. So the tale of Excalibur starts off in Muir Island, where Kitty is... I don't know. The problem with Kitty throughout a lot of these books is she's like simultaneously 16 and 32 in terms of how <laughs> she's, she looks and how she's addressed. Um, so here she's asleep at night, sort of. It's, it's, 
it's complicated, but she's sort of sexually posed, sex, sexually posed uh, as she's having a nightmare um, that she's being chased. Um, and she comes onto the set of the X-Men. It, it looks like they're about to, to shoot a movie with Professor X as the director and all the other X-Men sort of preparing to, to go on set. And I love this opening splash page. It's gorgeous. I love Wolverine. Wolverine so much on that page. Oh yeah, I love he's, he's reading about Ikebana, which you know, flower arrangement. And I love how Havoc is, is in the understudy chair. Yes. I think the colouring is just, oh my god, it's so good. I, I think this is probably the best art. There's some great panels in this book, but Alan Davis is pulling out some great work of just a lot of side views. I love the way um, Storm's mohawk tails off into a ponytail. Oh, yeah. That's some proper great style. And, of course, all around the place are the little Mojo's New World Picks logo, which could be a future plot point. Who knows? Oh, boy. <laughs> Not more Mojo. Not more Mojo. It makes more sense. I feel like if any book can handle Mojo, oh, yeah. it's Excalibur. Totally. So, um, Katie is, is shocked because as far as she knows, the X-Men are all dead. Um, and she's just so happy to, to see them alive, but there's something, something off about them. Uh, they've got like dead eyes and they're being sort of constructed for a, a TV set. What do you, what do you think about Kitty's portrayal in this sort of opening of the book. Um, I think it's weird because, like, uh, like you said, visu- visually, sometimes she looks much older than she is. Like in her costume, I feel like she always looks older. Yes. Like later, later on, she looks a lot younger, and so like, um, I think Claremont maybe dials the dialogue up too much in certain thought bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it the it. It's, it hammers some of it at home a bit overall, but for the most part, I feel like Kitty's sort of sort of confused, like you would be in a dream, where so, she's just sort of confused and just happy and just feeling the emotions. I don't, but the thing is, I don't get a sense of who she is yet. I no. just get like reaction, and um, the sort of dream sequence um, takes a sudden sort of turn on the next sort of couple of pages. Which sort of opens the floodgates into our very own Spike Queen, Rachel Gray. Yeah, I just want to say I love how expressive uh, Kitty looks as she's sort of greeted uh, by these, you know, dead X Men. This is the one panel mm. where she's she's tearing up, and it, I mean, she looks older, but it looks very expressive. Yeah, I think um, Davis just is such a great sort of character artist mm-hmm. and I agree. yeah he, he he can draw the, the crap out of Nightcrawler oh yeah sure. and actually his his Wolverine looks really wonderful also yes very much so so Professor X like mad director Professor X screams action and the X-Men are supposed to jump into the fray and fight Rachel who has suddenly appeared and which is also making Kitty surprised because why, why would Rachel be there? And the X-Men end up uh, chaining up Rachel and, and almost like drawing and quartering her, which was mm-hmm. kind of surprising. 
Yeah, it's such a weird, like, sort of... But I suppose if it's supposed to be a dream, um, I suppose surrealism is a, is a big, sort of, dream factor. I think it gets more surprising when uh, Rachel sort of bursts into her phoenix form and... To escape, yeah. Yeah, and then the X-Men shed their skin and become silver, monstrous dog, war dogs. Yeah, they're and called war wolves. And have we seen them anywhere before in previous issues? I generally cannot remember if I've ever seen the war wolves before. Because they kind of remember, because obviously these were way before Predator X and all the liquid metal things from that mm-hmm. faction and all that jazz. But it kind of rem- remind me of like that sort of stuff. But these guys, these guys chat a lot more. Um, but I can't remember seeing them, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't remember seeing them either. And it's always freaky when they shed their skins um, and, and pop out of like the mouths. Mm. It's super creepy. Um, but Especially like, on that final on that final panel where uh, Paul Kitty's like, "Keep away, no," and they're just there's what's left of Wolverine and Colossus's body is being. Our skin being taken out. Yeah, it's so... Uh, but that does give uh, Kitty a reason to wake up from her nightmare. And she's just so freaking out. She can't believe what, what's happened. Uh, she runs outside of Muir Island and she sees sort of the sunrise along with the phoenix symbol. And so there are hints that, that Rachel is coming back. And then on this page again, Kitty looks like she's 14 years old. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, like um, that panel at the bottom of her holding herself, yeah, looking exactly. at the sun, is absolutely gorgeous. Like generally, it conveys so much more emotion than the um, fall bubbles do. Um, what do you think about Claremont in this issue? Um, I feel like this is peak, like good Claremont, where timing-wise, uh, it, it works really well. He's sort of the master of his craft right now. Time hasn't passed him by, so it just feels so. It, it does really match for me, even though he tends to be a little bit wordy and over-explain. I, I still do enjoy it. Yeah, I think um, it works what it is um, at the moment. I think, because obviously we're looking back at it with a certain sort of modern storytelling maybe in our heads or not, and I just feel like that it could it could be more economical uh, in the way it tells its story, but um, it's it's not intrusive. Like, that panel doesn't feel like um, it's got so much, di- like, so many letters and words on the on the panel that you can't really tell mm-hmm. any kind of emotional state. I think it's, I think you're right in saying that it's sort of good, f- it, it works what it is. It works for, for the book at the moment. Sure. Um, my question, my question is, though, if you picked up this book for the very first time, um, as like, oh, I'll ch- check out the new X book, and it starts with this weird dream sequence mm-hmm. um i want like because obviously this is the first time you read it what was your first impression to like rachel getting like drawn and quartered warwell's <laughs> shedding skin uh psylocke with no eyes um yeah it was super know. super freaky i but it was also really interesting um i i like the weird and the wild and the, and the crazy and strange dream sequences and I mean, it's part of the reason why we're reading these two books because they don't follow normal storytelling in terms of real-world experiences at all, right? So it was, for me, it was like, okay, we've got the X-Men. Oh, it's not really the X-Men. 
this this more wackiness happening. I was I was in for it, but I could see how it could take people out. I think it's a really good like sort of opening mission statement or salvo of yeah, this isn't yeah. we're gonna this isn't the Xbox with, we're gonna present you with some X characters and then we're gonna turn the turn the world upside down and you're gonna have to you know catch up. And I think these next two um, pages with Kitty and uh, her trying to uh, pet Lockheed and can't because her powers aren't working properly and she she had the dream because well she thinks she had the dream because she fell asleep with the pictures of her you know the x-men and professor xavier i feel like the this is this is where we're getting like caught up on her emotional state where she is and her voice is starting to sort of come through a little bit and um just as we sort of leave poor kitty mourning her dead friends we jump straight to like a pod of dolphins and the newest probably most unknown character to a lot of um people would be megan who is drawn bizarrely but then you realize that she's just shape-shifted into a more um streamlined form so she could swim with the dolphins and she's um, so malleable um you know it might be interesting later on to start comparing her and morph in, in how mm. they interact with the other characters. Um, but she's drawn in a very different way, and it's not like a regular shape-shifting. It's more like she's a cartoon, or she's like putty that's constantly morphing into other other objects rather than the way that Mystique would shape-shift. Exactly, because I think, um, if I remember correctly, her powers are empathic-based, mm-hmm. so she can shape-shift with her mood and other people's moods. So... Um, I do think she's very. She becomes very visually interesting uh, as the series moves on. Definitely. Um, and obviously, with her hair basically almost like on fire, it would seem. Um, I do love this panel of her landing because um, she she goes into the lighthouse where her and Captain Britain live, and the upstairs is fine, but the downstairs has been wrecked. And all over the floor is uh, pictures of uh, Psylocke, and Megan finds out for the first time the the x-men including Psylocke, all died and um she comes to see brian uh who is drunk and in uniform <laughs> in uniform and um is aggressive <laughs> for one of a better word yeah <laughs> possibly a bit too much and then megan you kind of there's a she goes crying off to her bedroom, uh, to the bedroom, and then she kind of like snaps out of crying um, and sort of justifies his sort of anger because um, he's lashing out because she's um, he's lost his sister, and she goes flying off knowing that there's somewhere else. And this is where we first find out that she's not very good at um, writing. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and she she, I love the fact that she draws a little house with an X above it and a cat next to it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really such a great like sort of I'm going to see Kitty um, thing. So how do you how do you feel about the introduction of Brian as as an alcohol as you know filled on alcohol and um, sort of mourning for the death of his sister? Yeah, I mean, um, and before I even get into Brian, I just love the way that that Megan is drawn, sort of fairy faced with fairy ears a lot. We'll get mm-hmm. into later where their sort of origin of their powers come from. But I love that they keep them very British, at least from an American point of view. 
Um, I see what you're saying. And Brian has the greatest 80s hair ever. Yes, he does. His hair, I love how animated his hair is as well. Oh, yeah. Almost as animated as Megan's. Almost. Um, I love how, how, how Megan feels. Mm-hmm. Like, you get a real sense that she, she feels like uh, everything almost. Yeah. So, Claremont's. Super empathic, yeah. Like, Claremont's doing a really good sort of. Well, Claremont Davis and everyone involved doing a really good way of like selling or showing the characters quite. Because this is where we systematically see all of the cast. So, and he's doing quite well to bring us up to speed and also sort of highlight the differences between them all. Mm hmm. Obviously, at the moment, we've just got Brian is an angry drunk, yeah. which, you know, for a lot of British people, is true. So, <laughs> Well, for me, I, I've, I've read ahead a couple issues, and it's hard to understand why these two are even a couple, because they don't really get along, and there doesn't seem to be any emotional or physical attraction between the two. They're just, like, worried that they're going to break up, but there's no real actual, you know, connection that you feel when you, when you see them together. It's mainly. I feel like it's mainly because um, he saved her mm-hmm. from a li- of a life of torture, which we will get. You, you kind of get into anyway, and is the driving reason for like the end of this issue of her joining the team. And spoilers for a comic that came out in nineteen eighty eight. Um, and um, I feel like that's the basis of the relationship and. When I read it first time through, because um, I read it sort of early 90s and then went back to read the other stuff, I feel like some of the other writers had a better handle on their relationship than Claremont did mm-hmm. or tried to make it a more of a relationship. But for a lot of the time, she's doting on him. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't seem to give a shit. Not at all. Um, only when he has to. When the plot demands that he has to give a shit, does he give a shit? Oh. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it later, but her, her relationship with Nightcrawler is is actually more interesting for me, at least yes. up to where I've yes. read. Yes, um, her relationship with Nightcrawler is the relationship you want to, to happen. Um, yes. <laughs> we want that to be a bit more like <laughs> there, not, not just let Brian be Brian, you know what I mean? <laughs> just let him mm-hmm. do, his, do his thing. So moving away from the quote, the, should we quote them as a couple? Um, sure. We have Nightcrawler doing what he does best. And after so many months of reading modern Nightcrawler, it's nice to see him uh, smiling and swashbuckling his way through a danger room session, which unfortunately uh, ends in a little bit of a hiccup because he gets slashed and instantly uh, bumps away. But because his powers are slightly broken, it weakens him too much. But... Oh well, Kitty's here to save the day, and I do love what Kitty's wearing at this present moment in time. I have no idea what she really is, like, what that jacket does or is, but I just love the collar so much. Oh yeah, so that's collar. <laughs> so I do love the collar. Nightcrawl is here with the two swords. Is this the first time we see him holding two swords, or is this something he's been using in X Men previously? Um. Well, there's been times where he swashbuckled his way through certain things, but I think. Um, the sort of swords and full-on swashbuckling, I think they really hammer home in Excalibur, mm-hmm. with the title being Excalibur. Uh, it's the f- I don't know if it's the first time I've ever seen him. I think it's the first time I can recall him having one in his tail. Right. As well. 
But um, he's definitely had one sword once or twice before this. Right. That's for sure. But um, this is this feels like it's full on. And I feel like it's also an introduction to like Nightcrawler again. Because um, he works well in the X teams, but I always felt I always felt sometimes in like eighties X Men he's sort of not sidelined. That's the, not a good word to put it. But he feels sort of um, like we know who he is. He's the teleporter, and that's about as much like love. Yeah, he's not sometimes sometimes gets not as bad as we sort of read on Gold. Is he on Gold? It's not Blue. Really on yeah. Gold, that where he's completely unused. Uh, even even back in his early days, he wasn't really the main feature of the Xbox. He was the teleporter, and he was sort of the freak character. But they had trouble, you know, deciding what he, he was going to be. He was like the medic for a little while, and then he was like team leader for a few issues. But I, I think Claremont didn't really know what to do with him, just because that that X team that he started off with is so many iconic and like complex characters. It's hard to fit everyone into there. If you've got Colossus and Storm and Wolverine um, there already, it's hard to fit more, you know, great characters in there and give them the time that they need. So I, I felt like when he's when he joins Excalibur, it really does give you a chance to know him a little bit more and give him a chance to shine. And it just feels like a very much a sort of reintroduction to him. It's, these it these two pa- these pages, and I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that, and also. Um, we'll talk about the art probably in great depth, but Davis just draws the hell out of uh, out of Kurt, and I love how he draws his hair so much. Um, <laughs> so he's I got never, some great skills. I never understood like that black spot on his face and that like where it come down over his eyes. I never understood what that was visually supposed to be, you know, no, explaining. I, I, I love how it looks. I just have no idea what it's supposed to be. No, because I'm because it's a power that he had that he uses, which is he can he's practically invisible in shadows, right? Um, and I didn't know if it was like connected to that that he's always shadowed, or is it just dramatic on his effect? forehead? <laughs> yeah, it's a dramatic effect. Because um, I think they do start to sort of um, so sort of such a it's because like they still use it now, yeah, as well. It's, it's, it's so, there, but it's always sort of like, well, this is just how we draw him, but it's... <laughs> it, it is a weird choice. I love it. I love how it looks. Definitely. So, but anyway, uh, so... Katie shows up and, um, in her wonderful jacket, and she explains to Nightcrawler that she had this dream um, that you know, the X-Men were there and Rachel was there. It looks like they've had the same dream, right? Mm-hmm. They definitely do seem to have the same dream. And they're about to just walk into the house when, boom, uh, the aptly named um, <laughs> Gatecrasher <laughs> just turns up. I just uh, Visually, this is where it goes. This is where it goes. It goes, it goes mental, I feel. Yeah. This is like the... This is the if the the dream sort of like the easing us in to what Excalibur could possibly be, um, Gatecrasher and her merry band of misfits, um, kind of is like this is the ride now, kids. Hold on, <laughs> I'll get off. You know um, how the the early X Men days it was like 
you were human, but you had like one little difference. Um, and yeah. Some of the you know extreme versions was Nightcrawler, who was blue colored, um, but was mostly hum- human looking. This is where they sort of embrace the science fiction aspect of the X Men, where anything can happen with anything. Um, you, you see this more recently with uh, maybe when. Um, not Garen, Karen Gillen took over, but uh, who, who took over when they had the, the black jackets? The black jackets? Morrison. Yeah, where things just sort of took a turn where it's like, well, what if mutant meant all this craziness? And, and you know, it took, what, 20 years from, <laughs> maybe not quite that long, but 15 years from Excalibur, son of Excalibur, before the X-Men really, you know, embraced how crazy uh, mutants could look, but this is sort of the starting point of, this is not your father's X-Men book. This is going to be weird and wild and out there. Yeah, and the um, this is a lot of information that Claremont dumps on the reader, but to be honest, the art kind of helps it move along, and it isn't, like, really clunky. Like, mm. I love the way Gatecrasher speaks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just got like this sort of above it all attitude that um, I'm, I'm going to say she, she has. And um, I kind of just like the sort of formal use of, of language that she has compared to like her weird little reptile minion that's just hanging on her shoulder. Yeah. And I, I, also, I also kind of love the fact that this is the moment where Megan shows up. <laughs> Just through a window, or through a door, so it's just flying through a door, and it's all like, "Oh, hello!" <laughs> Everything's kicking off. <laughs> I think we need to talk a little bit about how Megan's drawn, because she is like sexualized to to the tens here. In in every panel and every page that she's in, it's like, how can we make how can we ex- accentuate her curves more? Um, and Captain Britain, in the same way, is like the epitome of what you know masculinity is supposed to be. She's the epitome of what comics readers feel you know women should look like to the mm. extremes. Yes, definitely to the extreme, and we haven't even got to Rachel's skin tight costume. <laughs> well, I love yeah. when later we'll see Megan in her her nightwear, her her nightgown, <laughs> and it's like an evening dress that barely covers anything. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's be fair. Cheesecake, like the cheesecake factor, is is up to eleven uh, with certain characters in this book. Yes. It's almost as if they they, they traded off. Oh, well, we can't draw Kitty like too bad, right. so we'll just like destroy Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and like Nightcrawler is not really too manly, so we'll just like buff up Brian yeah. um, a lot. Um, one of my favorite things about this entire sequence is the fact that. Um, Kitty, right, so they're introduced to obviously Gatecrasher, the weird little minion, and then Gatecrasher uh, goes on uh, about the fact that um, they're there looking for uh, Rachel, essentially. And mm-hmm. she uses her, what does he call it? Psychicom crystal? Um, <laughs> sure. And she, almost like a, a Princess Leia sort of hologram the opal uh miss opal luna satine appears the Om- omniversal majestrix i feel like i'm not saying any of these words right but to be honest i don't feel like i need to 
Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So she appears in her all her white queen because she practically is Emma Frost in a dress, right? In a more of a dress. And this character is going to be pivotal moving forward, right? Yeah, she is a massive um, force in the book, um, and it's established quickly that um, Brian or Captain Burton's had a relationship or, or knows her. With Megan, that panel with Megan, Kerr, and Kitty looking at her is like my favorite. And the fact that Kitty kind of understands why she's beautiful kind of oh, makes yeah. me smile. Oh yeah, I was, I was like, this is the best. This is the best panel. I love Megan's face. Almost like it's almost sort of vampiric. Oh yeah, as well. Yeah. I really just and and, and Kerr's just smiling because you know, Kerr likes to perv on girls. Um, <laughs> he does. And so, yeah, they inform them of everything that's happening. And then, boom, uh, Gatecrash is joined by her group of friends. Yeah, and here's another, like, gut punch to, to, to your reality. Like, hey, this isn't, this isn't the X-Books you thought you were going to read. Here's a bunch of, like, crazy He-Man characters that just appeared. Yes. I generally thought, yeah, I was like, yes, they are He-Man characters. They're all crazy and insane. And none of them have the powers you think they would have. No. At all. <laughs> so they've got like the most bizarre powers to go with them. I love one that. One of them actually like, she, like one of them's rubbish. And even, even Gatecrasher says that he, he's rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, I quite like them. I think um, my favorite visually is the giant monster, the giant green mantis monster thing. Oh, yeah. His power is to like eat you and put you in like a plastic bag on the, on his back. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Right. So yeah. Um, so obviously um, the tech net, which is what they're called, uh, are off to go find Rachel, and this means that Kurt, Kitty, and Megan are, are happy with that. So they have a little bit of a fight. Um, Kitty's instantly knocked down by I, the girl that I don't have no idea. Oh, um, Scatterbrain, who they forgot to sort of detail her lower half, and she's just colours. But I think that kind of works for her. No, yeah. yeah. But then she's Megan is eaten and then sacked by that weird creature uh, and then they decide to uh jump on nightcrawler but he teleports away so yes we've been introduced to the tech net but it is the crazy doesn't stop there does it really no, because then we, we pull into rachel who really has escaped with chains all around her into some other wild location and you, you, you're left wondering was she really in a dream uh where is she coming from and where has she landed because there are weirdly dressed creatures all around here there's a there's a there's a mouse a giant mouse holding a chainsaw there's like a vampire devil woman there's what looks to be like the joker like where is she i generally don't, I just don't know because like on the next page is like a chubby four a weird man with a candle i love that chubby thor McCree from Overwatch is in the background. <laughs> it's just, it's just it, like, do you know what's really good though? What I really enjoy is that Alan Davis seems to be having the time of his life drawing these because all of these, all of these panels are so they've got such great detail. Like I really love um, some of his background imagery as well. Mm -hmm. And like when Kitty's taken down, I love the sort of um, how the panel segments into the little bubbles and stars. Oh yeah, um, and it just. 
I generally just think there's some like there's there's so much detail going on. Like in the technet technet uh, sequence, there's a there's an ashtray with an actual cigarette that's smoking, and just I'm I'm just you sat there and I'm just I just you just forget that Alan Davis is actually really good at his, <laughs> at his job. <laughs> like you always take him for granted because everyone really remembers like that that one X Excalibur uh, front cover or mm-hmm. some of his X Men work, and you forget that. He was doing a lot of stuff uh, on on Excalibur itself, and um, basically this entire sort of sequence with Rachel, with all of these crazy people in the background, it's just a great sort of visual moment. And of course, uh, everything from Kitty's dream kind of happens again, mm-hmm. uh, where they're pulling her uh, with the chains because everyone loves to pull her with chains, it seems. And then boom. A little splash page of the war warwolves jumping out of some sort of teleportation portal thing and dropping on everyone. And the colour in this panel is my favourite. I just love all the colour work with the people with the shade of yellow. Oh yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just generally love it. And then <laughs> you don't really, I don't really understand where they are because was it a nightclub? Because they have, because she has a fight with the the warwolves, which we we must remember now. From now on, they are immune to her telekinesis. That is the most important thing Claremont will say to you over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they do so, sort of sideline her powers a lot in every issue that she's in. It's it's at least at the beginning. It's kind of annoying. But yeah, can, if you look at at the page um, that has the chubby Thor on it, you'll see in one of the panels there's a backdrop. Um, it's like hanging up, so it looks like it might be like a theater or a movie shoot that she's like teleported yeah. into, which makes sense because, like, obviously, if the dream was a movie, right, as well. And, um, what caught me off guard actually reading it back is that her dialogue is in uh, yellow bubbles with the weird, sort of almost like flamey devil effect, demon, mm-hmm. like if a demon would speak effect right. around it. And I forgot that she speaks. She's like, supposed to have a, like a weird voice, isn't she? In her in her Phoenix sort of mode. So I was like, oh yes, I forgot about that. How dare! Because she just talks like it. She talks like it all the time. I think. Yeah, I, I think they drop that later on. It's not used much further though. No, no, and I also forget that her face looked like that at one point uh, with the <laughs> the scratchy marks yes. and. It looks it looks great in certain panels, like when she's really angry and she's got all the chains and she's just about to like sort of wrap the chains, the the warwolf in the chains. I think that it looks great in certain places, but it, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. So then, obviously, she escapes into London. Right. So where, then we get to see that she was at some fancy dress benefit, uh, masquerade ball. But you know the costumes that they those people were wearing were very much not a fancy dress. Benefit masquerade. You don't. You don't come to that dressed as chubby Thor. No, you did not come to that. Or, or chainsaw wielding rat man. Yeah, <laughs> seems quite. Seems quite, quite a, quite a bit more than just a normal fancy dress. Can you imagine like uh, someone in the royal family shows up to a to a fancy event and there's this giant giant rat with a chainsaw. <laughs> just running running around. Yeah. Would you like some tea, madam? <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a bit crazy. Um, so yes, Rachel's in London. We know it's London because Big Ben's there, and apparently you can see Big Ben from anywhere you stand in mm-hmm. London. Um, and there are British flags and everywhere. Yep. 
Yeah, British flags everywhere and red buses, red double-decker buses and a black taxi cab. Every identifier you can possibly have is in this panel saying we're in England now. We're just we're not in the some, state. some guy with a very long scarf in the background. Exactly. We even have a, we even have a copper, as you would say, a policeman. Yep. A Bobby on the beat, just randomly there. I do love that the, uh, the policeman. <laughs> it does, I suppose. I do love uh, the policeman's sort of response to officer do something. I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's some, that's actually Claremont doing some good British wit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the werewolves, who can talk to each other, mm-hmm. um, go off after her uh, as she uh, manages to evade them into the subway, and she's almost caught until she full on phoenix ups and flings a werewolf onto the electric rail, killing it. So this is and where then we, all... we start to get an idea of where she was. Uh, they mentioned that she's under contract. Um, mm, yeah. So we start to understand that she was in the Mojoverse. She escaped somehow. The werewolves have been sent to bring her back. And um, these, these guys, you know, I feel like they would be easy to take out, but they, the werewolves, but they, they prove mm. pretty problematic for someone who's got the phoenix power. Yeah, you'd think just like a quick like bash in the head. You don't know how in- they seem quite indestructible, apart from electricity yeah. kills them. Um, I do like the panel though of the howling, where it transitions into um, the the red the uh, gate crasher just being like, "Oh well." <laughs> <laughs> and there's a great panel there of of Rachel that's very Spider-Man-y. You know, mm. the old Amazing Spider-Man. A lot of the times they'd have a panel or maybe like a final page where. Half of Peter's face would have the mask, and the other half would be just his regular face. And there's a panel of, of Rachel here, where half of it is sort of like phoenixed up, and the other half looks very, very human. That was reminiscent of Spider-Man for me. And it's, yeah, and it's a really, I think it's a really strong panel, and it makes me really want them to drop the weird lines yeah. that dominate a face, because I think um, because Davis is such a can can like really express characters. I think he benefits from eyes. A lot, yeah, and um, not having just having a blank eye. Uh, and saying that he, he doesn't struggle too much with Nightcrawler, so it's kind of hard to it's hard to see. I think Rachel benefits from having actual pupils, though, <laughs> rather than just angry, ang- angry strips, um, stripy face. And we'll see them play fast and loose with with how she's you know visually drawn moving forward with those those spiky things. They really don't care at some points. No. <laughs> Not at all. And then, um, talking about Nightcrawler, we move on to probably the most questionable questionable thing he's ever done. I love this. Um, <laughs> so Nightcrawler turns up uh, at Captain Britain's lighthouse, and to snap him out of his drunken haze, he attempts to murder him. <laughs> he just throws him in the sea. <laughs> he's like, well, if he wakes up, good, then he's ready. If not, oh well, we're not missing much. <laughs> and then he's just making tea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When, when Brian's like rushes in, all like flipping his hair out of the water, like a Baywatch Baywatch chair. Oh yeah, that's a great panel. cast member. And and that. then the panel. Go ahead. I just I just love the fact that he just zooms in and Kurt's just really casually making tea. I love <laughs> like it. Yeah. Just... And he's gone through a wardrobe change. He's he's put on like the old sailor's uniform on. <laughs> yeah. Or like dock workers' <laughs> uniform with like the weird the hat with the long turtleneck sweater 
I love that. I love that he has normal. I love that, and I think the series the series embraces like normal people's everyday clothes more than I can remember like X Men ever did. Oh yeah. Um, I just love the fact that he's he's even got white gloves on. He's like his normal white gloves underneath it all. <laughs> so it's just like it's perfect. And obviously, this little interaction um, begins like the tension. Or the, the sort of the dramatic tension that Claremont decides to sow the seeds between Kerr and Ryan, mm-hmm. which um, we'll see throughout sort of the first couple of issues at least. Um, and I think it's it's an interesting like sort of it's a really sort of interesting moment between them both. Like we have uh, Kurt who doesn't call himself a hero but fights f- for what he believes in and his friends and his family, mm-hmm. and we have Brian just mourning everything and basically lost his way, which. Um, when he did, when Salop did take over as Captain Burton, uh, Brian had basically like resigned anyway, <laughs> this sort of thing. So it's yeah. kind of like it kind of like echoes that sort of he's not really sort of down with it. Yeah, it's it's interesting as you mentioned how they start the tension here, and I love that Nightcrawler is portrayed as as the Everman hero that the X Men sort of are. And Braddock is the sad Superman who's got all the powers but emotionally can't really handle what's happening to him. And mm. this is great panel where um, Nightcrawler throws him up against the wall and the wall cracks behind him. Which yeah. I didn't know Nightcrawler was that strong, but I love that panel. <laughs> I just love that. Either that or the lighthouse has some shoddy workmanship. <laughs> um, but, I, uh, just, go ahead. It's, I just love how simple it is. And, and the fact that um, visually... Um, Davis keeps the crack in the wall throughout multiple panels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like when he's trying to run after, well, not run after, but go after, um, I love that he calls him a blue fed goblin. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just like that, how, how casual the, the kitchen is in the background, mm-hmm. like pots and pans. And I don't know why, I don't know why I find such satisfaction, um, with such detailed paneling. I just feel like it makes the universe feel more lived in. And it's it, sort of this sort of normality is juxtaposed to this guy in a, a Union Jack outfit and a blue coat <laughs> dude. I yeah. just think it's a, like like with the technic technet sequences and Gay Crusher, like they've got this giant alien and all of their alien mates, but they're just in a really normal house. And and visually throughout, I think like the especially like to begin with, Davis really does the whole. This is like an everyday world. But this is some proper crazy shit going on as well in the same panel. I just really like like the visual juxtaposition of yeah, both. I agree. So it just it just makes me it just makes me happy, and like I love I absolutely adore because we move on from uh, Kurt uh, slap slapping some true home truth on on Brian. Uh, we move on to Rachel, who's randomly found the most luxuriously tasseled jacket i've ever seen um <laughs> but i love the top panel because it echoes um victorian london yes, yes with the yes. mist and i just think it's such a great like the lone figure in the mist such a great like sort of image and the fact that she is actually um taken captive of by that weird f- thing frog alien thing <laughs> um and I also love the fact that there's the, the, the she sees the Excalibur sword, which isn't great. So it's kind of a bit hokey. <laughs> and I do the, I love the next panel though of of their, the alien the alien reflections next to hers. Mm-hmm. 
like creeping up on her. And I think yeah. visually this this whole sequence has got some great sort of like like you can tell that this this giant <laughs> the panel where he's trying to like swallow Rachel and he's got his little finger up to his mouth. <laughs> like sort of question questioning whether he can actually do it or not. <laughs> Until finally he gets her out of the back. I thought it was such a great sort of like they give such character to these random aliens. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a it's a testament to sort of the art style and, and sort of creative approach the book has. So Yeah, there are moments where you're like, What what am I reading here? What did I purchase? Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's got some craziness. But yes, the Technet finally found Rachel, and all is good for them until, bum bum bum, trouble. In the, the fall. wolves are here. Yes. <laughs> so I just keep laughing because every facial expression Gatecrusher does is just oh. a joy to behold. <laughs> she's like, Excuse me. And she's got her figure up. Like, hold on <laughs> a second. Sentience. I just. <laughs> And um, it's just great that they um, sort of have a nice little fight. <laughs> this is when she's like, uh, you shouldn't have kept him on the payroll. <laughs> like the really shit one that's just instantly killed. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, um, it's, yeah, all, all hell kicks off with Nightcrawler watching from the shadows with his handy-dandy handy portable Cerebro unit. Um, wherever he's hiding that in his costume. Sure, just um, because that was, that was a thing. <laughs> it was. And so they all decided. Nightcrawler decides to jump into the fray. Uh, manages to release uh, his team. Well, his soon-to-be teammates. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of really tech. wonderful, like uh, acrobatic moves to dodge. I know. Dodge the werewolves and get, use the werewolves' attacks to to slice open the the green lizard guy so that his his friends can be free. I do love the way he moves a lot in this. Mm-hmm. I like his pose on the um, when he's waiting in the shadows. Um, with his tail wrapped around the, the pole as well. I think that's a really nice... And just the way... It's almost like he's dancing around them. Yes, exactly. It feels very, I think that's quite nice. Uh, like, like uh, not acrobatic. It feels very poetic in the way that he moves. Mm. And I do love the fact that, like, <laughs> Captain Burton turns up and then is immediately swatted into a... <laughs> into a shop. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, even though they're free, they're captured again. Rachel in some weird cog-faced dude's rings, and Kitty in the most bizarre manner manner possible. I because there's Why we, have to, we have to address there's this flying baby uh, that's yeah. like uh, obese that has some kind of weird powers. I don't. Yeah. What, I what just, is his name? Like, so Joy Boy. Uh huh. Of course. This is his name. Of course. Um, apparently, it takes uh, your fondest desire um, and makes it rude reality. So, in this case, uh, Kitty really wants to be solid again because she's always in phased, and for some reason, that means that she become she, she becomes like a giant, a giant woman, basically, just like a like the staple of Marshmallow Man, essentially. Like, why is she turned? Like, why is she turned into that? I genuinely don't know. It reminds like me of the way she's drawn something out of like Alice in Wonderland. Mm. She's like super chubby in the middle, and she's she's falling down. Like her legs can't even touch the ground anymore because she's so like like big and and, and round. It's and she's got like the happiest smile on her face when it happens as well. 
And it, like, it's, it's like, um, it. I didn't expect this baby to, like, the demon baby to just, I don't know what, fuck knows what it does. <laughs> it, just, it just made Kitty really sort of just ridiculous. And then, um, if I asked, if I showed a picture of this next character, um, whatever her name is, the the one that looks like a serpentine woman. Mm-hmm. And I said to, like, normal comic book fans, what do you think her power is? Oh, you know, is it like... And people be like, oh, it's like, she's like a reptile or something, isn't it? Or, or she, she could do something like... Like, it'll be like reptile-based. Yes, nope. Yes. Nope. It, she has the ability to shrink people by touching them, <laughs> which is just so out of nowhere. And like she just wants to make one of the werewolves a piece of jewelry, which yeah. she's <laughs> down to a piece of jewelry. I love that. <laughs> and then you see this, like you just don't expect these powers. So you've got waxworks apparently, which is like this weird um, tentacled alien that looks horrid, and its power is to make your body lose all firmness. I love it's it's more panels of, of wackiness because Megan's body just goes like all Mister Fantastic. It's just like yeah. like all her bones have disappeared and she's sort of crumbled to the ground in this spaghetti like jumble of body parts. It's crazy, and then all of a sudden, um, like Captain Britain's getting the best of this other dude, and then the um, the Scatterbrain who took out Kitty the next time sort of takes out Captain Britain by basically intoxicating him essentially. Mm-hmm. It would seem, and he just seems very happy with life. There, that's such a great panel. Um, and so, it's up to Care essentially, who figures out that you know they're fighting like a team and we're not. So I bear sort of save the day. Um, yeah, and he has, throws has Captain Britain been part of a team before? Um, no, he's he's always, not really. He's always been a solo hero. Right. He's teamed up with Captain America. Of course. Um, he teamed up with Captain America just before. Well, I say just before, probably a couple of years before this book came out. Um, but that's that's like sort of maybe the last time he was really used in mm-hmm. for pro- for like properly. I don't know. But Kurt decides that he's going to take command, throw a werewolf into all of these random aliens, and basically save the day. With yeah. and then he basically does save them all. And then Rachel's free to stop this weird baby with... It's just this weird baby to... <laughs> doing whatever it's doing to Kitty. And... Um, Kurt takes out everyone else. Yeah, I love he, he kicks the, the reptile woman in the gate crasher who starts like shrinking down to Kitty's size. And then Kitty decides that she's going to punch her in the face. <laughs> face, which is such a great moment. And then they all disappear. Because mm-hmm. they're losing. And at the same time, the werewolves have all, like, ran off as well. And I feel sorry for... Like, I love the fact that there's a tiny one now. And that one of them can't use its back legs because it's all weird. <laughs> like, they've probably been injured. Bless them. Uh, and then it's just like... And also, one thing to highlight in the writing is that um, Rachel sort of... I don't know if this is an in-joke or, or like, sort of a nod to one or anything. It's like... You know where the, when the X Men types have been because yeah. there's destruction everywhere, and you're like, oh yeah, fair enough. Criticize much, <laughs> but obviously the Exc- Excalibur sword has not been damaged or touched one bit. Um, and then obviously there's a nod to her being the Phoenix, and if she dies, she'll be reborn. 
Uh, but it's a really nice sort of moment where they sort of all, everyone sort of hugs them, each other. Yeah, we've got almost and, two families going because you have Captain Britain and Megan hugging it out and suddenly they're a couple in love. And uh, yes. you've got the, the X-Men who really are a family, even though maybe these three didn't always uh, you know, work on a team that much, uh, didn't have a, a huge amount of history, but still feel like a family bond when they're you know, the three of them hugging. It, it doesn't feel um, out of place at all. No, it is. I feel like it's a really nice moment. And then, just before you think that the issue's finished, we have fun around the campfire, where Nightcrawler's toasting bread. I want to say he's toasting bread. Yeah, and then he like smears some jelly on it or something. <laughs> well, the fire itself is the weirdest fire I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, it's just like a like a, a thin pillar of fire. <laughs> Yeah, shooting straight up into the sky. <laughs> you know the movies a couple years ago, everything was like a blue light leading up into the sky? That's what this is like. Pretty much. Yeah. Obviously, it's a phoenix but fire. It's definitely a phoenix fire. And um, this is where we kind of get the whole um, sort of talking about the dream, Xavier's dream, how people should fight together. Rachel sort of almost sort of is the instigator for them keeping together. Um, Well, she is the instigator to bring them all together. And, like, they use the legend of King Arthur and the sword Excalibur as a symbol of hope for the future. And she's like, we should do this. We should all stay together. And Megan is, like, Kurt's instantly on board and Megan's pretty much like, I get it. And so they're open arms to Kitty and Captain Byrne and it ends with them all very happy and like let's do it yeah it it felt like a a good team coming together book Um, especially Mm. at the end it really felt honest and genuine like for me this is a great uh, is this this is probably an oversized issue isn't it I don't have the the page numbers yes it definitely is but this is a great how to bring a team together in sort of one, two issues instead of taking six issues and a trade to, to bring a team together. This is this is wonderful. Yeah, I think it's a really great moment. I think using the death of the X Men as a as an as like a springboard to actually reigniting, making sure the dream doesn't die, is such a great sort of reason for the team to exist rather than just mm-hmm. we're here because we want to be a couple of cool characters which <laughs> at the mo- which to be honest in modern x-men feels like the reasons these days yeah like there's no like driving factor of these teams existing it's just because they're just characters you love thrown together yeah yeah just randomly this creator decided he wants to use these characters so now this is the team and we're going to move forward but um i mean that's that's the end of the sword is drawn from 1988 what, what are your overall feelings on this I think um, I feel the same way about it as I did when I, I first read it. I just I found it fun, like weird and ludicrous, but still really fun. And like this, this is like sort of after reading this, it's such a desire to just see where these people are going to go yeah. and what other crazy hijinks they're going to get into. Mm-hmm. I think as an introduction episode, uh, episode introductory issue to Excalibur. It kind of sets the tone for the whole series. If you don't like this issue, 
that's fair because you're probably not going to get on with the series until like Warren Ellis takes over. Right. Um, if you know what I mean. So I think it's got very much its own sort of stylistic mission statement and it's got the team's mission statement at the same time, which I think is quite a impressive feat to do. Uh, and I think it just looks gorgeous as well. But the art just is some some great stuff going on. The colour work is beautiful. Just Even just like the grass. The, the fact that it looks like almost like watercolor in certain, certain panels is just such a great sort of adds loads to the visual quality of the first issue. Yeah, I agree. Visually, this this really stands up really well. I love Nightcrawler is, is drawn so brilliantly throughout this issue. Um, I love that that classic costume too, with the, the V, with the, mm. the shoulder pads that sort of ping up. Captain Britain Britain's costume is wonderful. I love how they're really malleable with Megan um, and Kitty in that. I love that, that that outfit she has with the crazy sleeves. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where this, who came up with that idea, but I just love how like adult that that costume makes her feel. Um, mm. Let's go through like a personality change when she's in costume when she, and when she's out of costume and how confident she is and, and her costume, you know, really makes that visually apparent. I just, it, it was a fun issue with a lot of craziness and wackiness and I was, after reading this, I was ready for, for some more. Um, you know, we're not going to give ratings on any of these old books. I think we might, um, when we get into new issues of Exiles, maybe we'll, we'll rate those. I don't know. But uh, for these old issues, it's not worth reading. It's more, you know, talking, how do we feel, what was done well, what wasn't done well, and, and sort of putting it in, in context of, of the time. So um, I think especially for the time that it came out, this is a, a nice alternative to what the X-Men were doing in, in a fun book. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's definitely like sort of... Um, a great a great way to still read an X book but not having to read the same stories over and over again. Yeah. And and it includes it includes Kitty and Kurt which are fan favorites. So it's kind of like you got, you know, some core X-Men going on essentially with it as well. And as you mentioned earlier, they've been sidelined for a couple of years, so it's a good way to bring them back. Yes. It's it's, it's another think... great thing I love about this old uh, Claremont period was when he took a character out for a while they were actually out for a while uh, there were actual <laughs> consequences to like actions where now like nothing bad happens and if something bad is going to happen they're going to solicit it three months in advance so that you know there's no drama to it could you could you imagine trying to solicit like this issue of excalibur <laughs> <laughs> what would you even say new team fights crazy aliens um Metal Wolves, Nightcrawlers in it, Kitty Pride, <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> just big words, Phoenix at the end, <laughs> at the end of the station. Starting price ten dollars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Plus all the backups you'd ever want. Yeah. The thing, the thing I really like about it is, it is very much of its time, but it works really well now. Like going mm. back to it. Um, because it still feels so different to suit like normal superhero, normal X books. Sure. Like it, it, it just it's so far apart from them. Um, the that it stands on its own merit. Yes, yes, it does. Because you, you go back to like old 
like, I love old New Mutants and stuff, but some of it, you're like, it is all just X-Men, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not to offend New Mutant fans uh, at all. But yes. I definitely, <laughs> if you've never read Excalibur, I'd definitely say give it a shot. Like like I said before, it's really easy to get hold of. Um, if you've already got Marvel Unlimited, it's on there. Um, if not, um, the Epic Collection is not very expensive. In in UK in the UK, it was only ten ten pounds, so it isn't that expensive at all. And how, how many issues are in there? Um, in this issue, in this in this Epic Collection, there is literally Captain Britain one and two, Excalibur one to eleven, uh, Mojo Mayhem, which is a, a, a Excalibur special, which we will talk about at some point, um, and loads of other material from. Like Marvel Comics presents and Mighty World of Marvel. Oh my, that's that's a great deal. Mm-hmm. It's it's not bad. And the reason we'll be talking about Mojo Mayhem is because when we get to issue eleven, uh, Mojo Mayhem happens between panels in yes, two pages. Panels, yeah. <laughs> and it's a full it's a full on like special. It's as big as the shot is drawn, I think, um, page wise. So that's something to look forward to. <laughs> Hey, it'd be like it'd be it'd be New Christmas when we talk about it, so it makes more sense. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was Excalibur: The Sword Is Drawn, and um, as we mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be covering both Excalibur and Exiles. Um, so maybe Dan, do you want to give us a little bit of a history of of Exiles and and where it started, what it's about? Well, <clears throat> Exiles um, essentially. And its most base level is a Blink comic book. Um, and Blink first turned up uh, in the 90s. Around the, around the time, she, she was essentially with the team Generation X in the terrible crossover Phalanx. Hey now, I that's that's a period of comics where I was really getting heavily into it, so I have really fond memories of the Phalanx Covenant. See, I love Generation X, and they are my like, sort of... Aside from Excalibur, they're my like X team, um, but I just didn't care for that story. <laughs> but poor, but poor Blink, she didn't really last long. She was introduced and swiftly uh, dealt a killing blow. You know, what's um, interesting about her is she's a character that they introduce. They, there's a little mystery behind her, um, and then she disappears. And there was a lot of like fan engagement with that character and wanting to see more. Um, which led to her being included in the Age of Apocalypse, which, to be fair, isn't a bad idea. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great to see her because a lot of times, for example, you see the backstory of a character, and you're like, actually, I'd rather not know. I'd rather have the mystery there. It makes it more interesting. But seeing this sort of other version with a backstory and like a personality, it actually like filled out the character more than detracted from it you know what i mean and she turned up as Sabretooth's sort of silgut daughter in age of apocalypse and she was let's be honest the mvp yes of that in, of that entire i think most people when they think of age of apocalypse will probably think of blink yeah i um, love her relationship with Sabretooth. it was it was wonderful such a great um relationship and then um obviously age of apocalypse vanished and she sort of disappeared as well because it you know her reality is gone until sort of like 
well, until the year 2000, where she got her own miniseries set in the Age of Apocalypse, where she has some fun in the negative zone, and you find out a little bit more of her past. I hated that miniseries. It was so bad. It was a bad miniseries. But you do find out, sort of, that's basically where she was until a year later, where we literally pick up where she teleported off from, which is Exiles number one. And Exiles... um, at the time, like the concept of what ifs uh, at Marvel, obviously Marvel what if, um, I think the X office at the time was just like, why can't we just do that as a monthly series with a bunch of X-Men because X-Men mm-hmm. still sell. Um, and as my trade says, six strangers eat an X-Men from a different reality. So it gave a lot of creative freedom to the sort of um, people who came up with the Exiles, which was, um, and I have not heard his name in a very long time, but Judd Winnick. Oh, right. Uh, yep, and uh, Mike McCone, where they sort of creators, and they're the, the sort of team behind the first issue of this very different sort of take on Xavier and uh well the whole x-men's dream and the mission statement gone was the fight for uh xavier's dream and now it's the fight for all of reality Mm -hmm. and a lot happens a lot of explaining has to be done in this first issue and yes when we get to it i think that's maybe where it falls down Mm -hmm. but if you've ever enjoyed what ifs and you've never read Ex- Exiles, shame on you. <laughs> um, well, shame on you for not reading Excalibur as well. Right. But I suggest that if you don't... This is a book where... Whereas Excalibur is connected to continuity of, of the X-Men, this is... If you don't... If you really have never read an X-Book or you're not really that bothered and you just want to pick up something interesting, Exiles, you can walk in on the ground floor and you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um because basically the first issue, if I was going to sum it up into one word to try and sell it to someone, well, not to sell it to someone, I'd say it's sort of like the synopsis <laughs> of, of everyone in mm-hmm. the book mm-hmm. and, and then a bit of a story. Because much right. like um, the, drawn, the, the sword is drawn, it's a, it's a bumper first issue as well and it covers a lot of ground. It does. So, so we need to, I think, talk about two things here. One is... The characters we have but i think visually we also need to discuss that this is really when digital coloring uh really started to uh, make headways in the comics around this era and the coloring and the artwork on here feel like um of its time and not always in a good way i mean the, the pencils might be great but the way that you know effects are drawn and and, and lighting is done it, it stands out as well we're still you know, getting a grip on on how to use all this new technology, but we're working through it, which, you know, sometimes you'll have a great panel, but sometimes you'll have a bunch of, of gobbledygook that doesn't quite fit, fit together. Um, but we can get to those when we get to them. But um, I guess what we really need to, to highlight here are the, the six characters. So obviously we have Blink as sort of the de facto uh, main character, uh, but who else do we have? Well, if you well, issue the front cover has them all, and the mm-hmm. big lunking um, guy in the background is uh, Thunderbird, who 
Looks kind of like Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It always throws me off the way that they draw him. Yeah, and um, so we'll get into his backstory when we talk about the issues, but he is such a weird-looking sort of image on this front cover. Because mm-hmm. if, if you look at them, you've got pink girl, female Nightcrawler, essentially, mm-hmm. possibly male rogue, moth... <laughs> Moth from Age of Apocalypse and a guy with goggles. Yeah. In this, you know, and then this weird like, could be Angel because there's like a really weirdly drawn wing. Right. And then you've got this giant horse-faced man thing yeah. in the background. I think design-wise, I don't. He also feels very much of his time in a way that I don't appreciate. Yes. Well, it's weird because like you were saying, it's um, the beginning of um, digital coloring and, and the whole. Um, because I, you know me and my collections. I have the almost collections of Exiles, mm-hmm. all six of them, um, and it tells you all the colorists at the beginning. And the only colorist in this entire first volume, which is nineteen issues, is uh, Transparent Transparency Digital. <laughs> there you go. There you um, go. <laughs> so there you go. But yes. Yeah, so going back to the characters, we have Thunderbird. We have uh, the blonde winged mimic. Um, the guy who can mimic five powers at once. Who was an actual character way back in the day, but really wasn't used at all, uh, just no. very briefly. And of course, Thunderbird, the, it's the original Thunderbird, isn't it? It's John. Mm-hmm. Um, Thunderbird died <laughs> pretty, pretty early on. Yep. Um, we have Morph, who looks like he's from the Age of Apocalypse, but isn't. Another character that in the main universe was killed off. Mm-hmm. And then we have our two, probably the, the new newly created for this book um we have um magnus which um if that doesn't key you into what his past is then <laughs> who also has hints of age of apocalypse in that it's magneto and rogue's child yes um wearing the worst the weirdest costume colored leotard thing ever and um nocturne is it nocturne is yes it? it is nocturne yeah um who is obviously Kurt's daughter, and we'll find out who her mother is a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And um, she's in a, a series of. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about oversexualizing Megan. They don't know what to actually dress yes. TJ in yes. for issues. We're talking issues. They have no idea what costume she's going to have for actual issues, which which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. A quick rundown basically is Blink can teleport. Thunderbird is just really strong. He's like the Hulk type. Morph can practically shapeshift into anything. Mm-hmm. It's like polymorph. Um, Magnus is, can manipulate Magn- um, his Magneto's powers. He can manipulate uh, magnetism. And, but he's also inherited a little bit of his mum's powers that people he touches turn to metal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is just horrific. Um, TJ, I always call her TJ. I'd never use her code name because they hardly, well, they do use it in the first issues, but later on, it's just all their names, aren't they, really? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they become a family. But Nocturne's powers is she can possess people. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the most complicated hex blast description I think I've ever heard where she. I remember it correctly. She opens mini portals into the dimension that Nightcrawler slightly blink, 
bumps into for about a brief second so she can fire energy out of her hands. Right. Whatever that means, mm-hmm. um, she can do that. And she's she's like Nightcrawler. She bounces around the place. And then you have Mimic, who well, has... she also has... They mentioned she has low-level psychic oh, abilities. Of course. And of course. does she teleport as well? No, she doesn't teleport, I don't okay. think. I don't, I don't think. And then Mimic, who has Angel's Wings, um, Cyclops' Eye Blasts. At the moment, I think he has some of Beast's abilities. Um, but the major change is, is that he has Wolverine's uh, powers. Yeah. And Colossus's power. But, but the way it works is he can mimic a, a character's abilities up to like 50%, and he can only do it for five. So if he wants to... You know, get a new set of powers. He has to decide a previous, you know, set list that he needs to get rid of. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a, it's like um, clocking in and off of powers. Yeah, um, I do like. I actually quite like the way they really try to work him. They've like powered him down. Yes, he's got such a. Because he also has telepathy as well. So I don't know if he's he's mimicked that from Xavier or from Gene. Mm-hmm. Um. But I do like the fact that it, when we get to it, some of the other abilities he later gets, um, which, you know, is more of a stylistic choice, I feel. Um, but we'll talk about that in future issues. But that's your team. They're actually quite, to be honest, they're probably, like, a lot of powerhouses. Yeah. But they are saving the universe. Yeah. Or the multiverse. So why not? So where do we start? So we start off in the desert of nowhere and out of a portal pops blink and she she lands like face down in the dirt <laughs> i love the panel she rolls down this dune and then she's like face down in the dirt with like her the limbs akimbo uh <laughs> in a very like <laughs> i failed sort of position which <laughs> i do love the panel where she's just like sh- spitting out sand as well next mm-hmm. to me <laughs> yes um, and then she runs into nocturne um, and they're like, hey, where are we? I don't know, but I'm, I'm an X-Men. Oh, you're an X-Men? I'm an X-Men, but I don't know you, and I don't know you, so obviously there's there's some confusion here. Yes, and then Morph pops up. Mm-hmm. And, Blake and gives she's all like, a, a giant hug, but... It's not his, not her Morph, but he does like female companionship, and that's made extremely clear. Yeah, um, this is a very pervy Morph, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this Morph is just a pervert. Um, and then, oh god, I forgot he wears pants. Um, (laughs) just can't get over that image. So, um, Thunderbird appears, um, and he's wearing, his costume, the way his costume is, you just don't think he'd wear, like, shorts or or boxers. Yeah, he's wearing, like, shorts for some reason. Such a ridiculous image. Yeah, you're never really sure what's his skin and what's his costume. It's yeah. I have no idea. So he's a really bizarre looking. Like, can we just take a minute out? Um, we've talked about how we uh, like we we both are not massively sold on his visual, yeah, sort of style. Um, he's got these giant arms and hands, and his upper body is way over proportion, mm-hmm. like sort of prime from Ultra Force. Yes, exactly. Um, his head is extremely angular and then also kind of like horse 
sort of mouth. It's less horse mouth there than it. Yeah, because he, he kind of transforms when he's like powering up, right? Yeah, he's got like a battle mode, and then um, <laughs> he's got sort of horsey, hoovy feet. Essentially, yeah, I, it's so odd because like half his skin is like striped red and, and blue, and at first you think it's like a leotard, but then it's actually that's his body because he's been. And we'll get into it later, but he was captured by Apocalypse and uh, experimented on. So he became yep. one of the um, one of the horsemen, right? Yes, he did. And did we find out which? I think we find out which one he was. Is it War? Like, yeah, I think I think we do find out. Yeah, I think I'm I'm sure he is he he's War. But yes, and obviously with him turning up looking like he does. Uh, the girls and morph are like right ready for battle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but tj instantly recognizes him well gets him sort of wrong yes uh thinks it's his, it's james not john um because they look alike and then out of the sky with with uh cloven hooves mm-hmm. that is it's so weird he's also got cloven hooves um is mimic how do you feel about um McCone. So, um, for Mimic, I, uh, at first, he feels like Mr. Bland. Like, I was, yes. the first couple issues, I'm like, I don't really, I'm not feeling this guy at all. But later on, when we get into the conflict of, like, what his reality was and how essential a team member he was and the things he has to do in these alternate realities, it makes his character much more interesting because there's the conflict of, of of like emotion of what he has to do and what he doesn't want to do. I I agree. Uh, I feel like he's just like a jack of all, at the beginning of it, he's just like a, almost like a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Like a jack of all trades that can just do whatever he wants, and then later on, um, he just becomes interesting, and yeah. then I you can't live without him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, what I do like visually about him right now is that he's got like a almost like a wolverine motif yep because he has wolverine's uh, powers as well right and then with the giant goggles cyclops goggles which he does i don't think he needs but i just like the fact he's got giant goggles mm-hmm. it, it it gives him something to do and then all of a sudden because everyone else is talking magnus just turns up in his disco crystal red ruby whatever the hell that is <laughs> uniform is um he's just like hi guys maybe we should go over there to that random kitchen that's in the middle of the desert and then Mr. Um, <laughs> we meet this little dude who essentially is exposition, the character. Yeah. Um, and uh, he is very important to the Exiles, uh, all Exiles, past, future, and present. Everyone we'll ever meet, this guy is pretty much there throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like, and he, what, what was... Um... Oh, what was the character's name on Quantum Leap? Uh, the like the buddy character who had the computer who would show up as a hologram every once in a while and, and tell the main character Sam what he's he's supposed to do in that reality in, in that timeline. He's very oh, much yeah, like he, that. He's very much like that. Um, but he's just there, giving them making. Them, I love the fact that Morph turns into Magneto randomly yeah. in one panel. Um. So far, though, artistically. Um, it's clean, but it feels a bit too clean. Like you're saying about the color, it feels a bit empty. I know yes. they're in like the middle of the desert with nothing, 
but there's no texture. There's no like no um, texture, and you can tell where the like they use like light light effect here, like highlight this part here, like like standard, uh, like functions from like, um, uh, what do you call it? Ah, oh, damn it, my mind my mind is gone blank again. Ah, oh, stupid George. Um, <laughs> what's the what's the from Photoshop? Like Photoshop. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's like 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 standard Photoshop item is just randomly placed in like the background or on someone's skin that looks like they're still testing out how to use these new digital coloring functions that really makes me feel a little empty when I look at the artwork sometimes. Yeah, it just it is a bit sort of bland. But as the time broker, as he's known, um before he introduced himself, decides to do a video montage of every single character. So the reader and the team, ooh, see, clever narrative device, mm-hmm. uh, find out what each of us, we, each of them are from. So we find out that TJ is from a reality where sort of her life has been with the X-Men, and the X-Men are a, a, fa- a family to her. It's a collection of uh, veterans and sort of highly uh, skilled younger members Wolverine's taken over because Xavier's stepped down, and Nightcrawler is spotting an amazing eye patch and a bald head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and she has a tail. Yep, which she doesn't have because she. I think she can retract her tail. Okay. No, because she doesn't have it here. She hasn't got the tail at all so far. So this is the first time you see her with a tail. Right. Right. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about later about her, her, who her mother is and what you feel about that possibility. Mm. I think a, an X-Men cartoon actually tried to do that. Oh, really? Hands. Okay. Yeah. And then we move on to, as Georgie uh, already said, we move on to Thunderbird. He was uh, this stalwart warrior of uh, Xavier's and Apocalypse took him and twisted him. But not for long, because obviously, like every horseman of the apocalypse that was an X-Man, he broke free, mm-hmm. and now he's just sort of struggling with the transformation process. And, and once again, sort of tying into Age of Apocalypse, this apocalypse is drawn in that vein, rather than yes. the, the main apocalypse uh, art style. Exactly. Because even like Rogue, when we see her in the Magnus, has got like the Age of Apocalypse hairstyle. Yep. Um, and so, I've already said Magnus is sort of his is really simple. Uh, like we said before, you know his parents. Mm-hmm. He has he's he's awesomely powerful, probably more powerful than his dad. But he, when he touches people, they turn to silver. What about Morph, Georgie? Uh, Morph is one of uh, the members of the New Mutants, and he's been like uh, an Avenger and a stalwart member of the X Men. He's just turned back to the team, and he's like a you know a major hero from his universe. Um, and then we have Mimic, who also, in his universe, was part of, what is it, the original X-Men? Or at least or very early on, uh, part of the mm. X-Men. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. He was um, a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and then turned by Charles Xavier and, and then becomes uh, you know, a real hero uh, in, in his timeline as well. We'll see in later issues where he meets people who know him and are like, oh, I love you, Mimic, you're the best. So they really... Um, they really, you know, go all in on, on Mimic as a character. I do like the fact that in his timeline as well, it's um, Mutant Kind is the most accepted of mm-hmm. any realm. Right. 
which is a real like sort of telling. And then we get a quick recap of what happened to poor old Blink, and a slight a recap of like her being captured, being put in the print, being rescued by Sabretooth, becoming a member of that um, version of. I want to say the ugly Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, um, that, that is fandom. Awful looking panel there. Oh, wild, just, wild child looks like he's got like this elongated face. I don't know what's happening. It's just a really disgustingly bad panel. And then um, obviously she was lost when she thought she everything had ended when uh, Magneto and Apocalypse had their final duel, mm-hmm. and then she ended up straight in the desert. And then it's a bit more talking, really. And it that's all it is. That's all it's ever, ever been. The mission statement is laid out. Um, it's kind of... Uh, if anyone's watched Legends of Tomorrow... Yeah, yeah, it's similar. Um, they basically stole that from Exiles. Um, <laughs> essentially. And so they're going to go around into different realities and fix one thing that has been broken. Um, and, you know, voila. They can move on. Um, I really um, love that we have Mimic, uh, not Mimic, that we have Morph here because he was my other standout character from Age of Apocalypse, or at least one of them. Yeah, because you can do all kinds of cartoony, crazy stuff with him. I mean, there's a panel where we're going through exposition, and his mouth drops straight out of like a, a Warner Brothers cartoon, and <laughs> I just love how expressive and like crazy and fun he can be, even though he gets really. He's pervy, but we will we'll meet a new character. I don't remember how many issues later on who's kind of okay with it, and they make kind of a nice duo. So it's 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 interesting how they deal with that. Yeah, I think it is quite fun that they they address it head on as well. Right, like which which makes it more refreshing than let's just turn him down a bit. <laughs> but yes, um, they're given the consequences essentially of uh, what would happen if they don't go on their mission. And um, some of them are worse than others. Some of them wouldn't even exist. Uh, some of them will be put on death row. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them will be goo in a jar. And then others are just things like your dad turns evil again. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. And um, they're all very upset right. about it. And they're basically coerced into doing the mission. And they're given the beautifully named Talus. I have no idea what that stands for mm. at all. Um, it's a piece of jewellery uh, that you put around your wrist, essentially, and it's given to Blink, and, and it will sort of... It speaks almost telepathically to her, uh, informing her what the mission is, but it's also not super clear on what they're supposed to be doing as well, right? No, it, hints at it's, it. really, it's really vague. <laughs> like, it's almost like it really teases them. Um, <laughs> Kind of, I think, uh, to begin with, um, the talus is used as a really distinct plot point. And then I feel like as we move forward, it becomes a little bit more clearer and they're not bothered about it being a massive mystery anymore. <laughs> right. Because um, this one's all about the mystery. Um, and as the time broker vanishes into dust, um, he sends them on the merry way um, to a random place, uh, which um, Blink immediately realises is... 33 miles outside of Phoenix because she read it on a sign. Yep. <laughs> Which is kind of cute, I suppose. And, um... And then they decide if they're going to go on a mission, they need to, you know, be cognito, so they decide to go shopping. And they get some of the weirdest looking... Like, they don't stand... They don't blend in anymore after they go shopping at all. 
can we can we just get can we just stay with the panel where Magnus just magics up some credit cards? Oh yeah, like just just playing literally. I generally don't know what kind of um, superpowers he has, but he he can totally be my friend. Yeah, um, I would love to have a Canadian Express card. Yeah, I love the idea that he's just like here's some credit cards that work because apparently they have balances on them. Um, <laughs> because my power is linked to like everything. Um, and they go to compute. Yeah, they go to sh- Computer Shack and to discuss. How how would you how how would you describe? the thought process that uh, Nocturne and Thunderbird have when they try and disguise themselves and fit in. What would you, if you were an old person, would you do a Ben Grimm and do a full-on trench coat? Um, or would you be a bit more, because she has got blue skin, be a bit more like maybe a veil? Um, oh, so you're expecting something. Expect something to make them look more normal, but she's like, no, I'm just going to go with this like tan bikini. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and Thunderbird's like, yeah, can I just get a really giant leather jacket with tassels on the shoulders? I don't even understand. And Pavi um, Morph appreciates her dress sense. <laughs> and the talus grows because it, it, it's not consistently drawn in this issue at all. No. There's like a giant... Um, um, I don't know, almost like a beetle shell on her arm there. Uh, as, 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 as they find out their first um, mission. So the first mission is find the one who would lead you, find your greatest teacher. So obviously uh, they, they, they feel like it's got to be Charles Xavier because he's the hero of the X-Men, the leader, uh, at least uh, from a philosophical standpoint, even though he may not always be the, the best person in the world as we've said in other podcasts but um, <laughs> um, Magnus is able to make like a, a makeshift Cerebro and he, he hooks Mimic and Nocturne up to it using their combined limited psionic powers so that they can try and locate Charles Xavier and you know these panels here are more examples of oh, this digital coloring that does not sit well with me and Magnus seems to like grow in size yeah <laughs> Which is a bit weird. Um, can we just point out like a nice little story nod to later, de- like later developments, which is um, to the whole thing actually, which is um, in Blink's world, Xavier was dead, and she's not particularly. It's only two, like one line of dialogue, but she's not really sold on it being Xavier. Mm-hmm. She goes with the cr- she goes with the crowd. Um, right. But yeah, the, uh, those panels are horrible. Like the color, the, I don't get Magnus's colors at all. It's, it's like just, he's got like this internal, like incandescent light that's like like moving all around his body, that's lighting up his costume. It's so weird. Cause, anyway, because like the pen, the pencil work sometimes is really well. Like it's not the strongest penciling that McCone does on the series. No, but, and, and even the pencils still feel very turn of the century pencils, but um, yeah. not not always. I mean, there's some nice stuff. There's some iffy panels there as well, but but uh, you know, altogether very serviceable pencil work. Yes, and so they find out that Xavier is in Nevada, and they launch a little jailbreak for him. And we have a panel of uh, Nocturne firing her discs, things out of her hands. Mm-hmm. We have 
fun panel of a giant morph as an American football <laughs> baller, just like smashing through people. Then we have a panel of Blink, uh, not Mimic doing not much, but I really don't like the way his claws are drawn. Yeah, I, I always wonder because he can mimic Wolverine's powers, so they can't be metal claws, they've got to be bone claws, right? Yeah, because he, he metals up with um, Gloss's power, so they actually get coated in metal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so he's like blasting stuff, and then we have Thunderbird like ripping walls down, causing a massive scene of devastation. And then Thunderbird does this horrific transformation to make. If you thought he was weird looking before, um, he full on bait away bills it and uh, charges into a group of people. He gets like these back, like protruding, uh, not spikes, but what would you call these these? pieces that sort of like jet fins. out of his... Yeah, like fins, weirdly, yeah. like fins or something. And his chin just becomes... His nose, like, goes into his skull and it looks like he's got gills. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's a really out-there design choice, but I don't think it's a good out-there design Me choice. Me neither. And, and um, when they transforms, he wrecks his totally awesome leather jacket, so it's really... It's too bad. There's, there's no point. Oh, well, you get it on credit. <laughs> yeah, they got changed so that they could use the uniforms to go and attack somebody. I don't understand the point. He's not wearing, and in this panel where he's charging everyone, he's not wearing his little um, boxer shorts at all. Mm. So does he not need them when he's fully? Who knows? Anyway, that's a question that probably doesn't need to be answered. And um, <laughs> we, we move on to Blink and Magnus, who have blinked into the heart of the prison. And quite frankly, Magnus is extremely rude to Blink, yeah. who just so it's just basically like I I should have just like gone forward and like started the place out. We didn't really need to do this like much damage. Um, it probably would have been easier. And Magnus is like, nope, it's 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 Xavier. We have to do as much destruction as possible to save him, <laughs> essentially. And then um, I do like the way he manipulates metal. In yes, that panel yes, where it's yes. like liquid, he makes yes. it into liquid, and they find Xavier hooked up to something horrific-looking, um, and they proceed to break him free. However, I mean, we don't know if, if you know Xavier was, um, you know, demented beforehand, or if years of being captured and tortured has maybe changed him. But it's not the same. Professor X says they think they're freeing. Spoilers. Um, but before we even get to that, I'm sorry, we've got more panels of the other exiles uh, fighting, uh, sort of being the distraction with, with Nocturne, limbs akimbo, punching and kicking people, and she's about to be lasered, but then Mimic saves her with his, his metal wings, um, showing his, his usefulness in combat. You know, he's got, he's a really smart fighter in that he's, he takes full, not control, but f- visually he recognizes all the different aspects of the battlefield and, you know, effectively um, uses his powers in ways that most uh, optimize uh, his abilities. It's, it's quite a, kind of amazing mm. how he's able to use all these different powers in these different ways to help everyone work as a team. He's, he's kind of, uh, he's, he's really the powerhouse power guy for me from the start. Yeah, he's he's like the backbone of yeah. the combat team. Mm-hmm. Um, he allows the others to like do their own thing, but he's always there making sure everything's fine. Yeah, that's kind of what I've always yeah. 
I always liked about him, and I really love uh, later on. But we were—I won't say anything. There's a way he's sort of hiding his powers a little bit from everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, they're all fighting and having fun, and then Blink's like, "We're ready to go," and <laughs> Morph turns into liquid <laughs> and flies through a ball. Because why not? I love that they're so inventive with everything that you can do with that character. It, to be honest, he, visually he's the most in, like they're all quite interesting to look at, mm-hmm. but they like it seems like McCone does a lot more effort into him than some of the others. Um, to be fair, and so yes, Xavier's free, <clears throat> and everyone's like, "Yay, Xavier! Woo!" And then he just turns out to be an absolute asshole and um, <laughs> mind blasts them all, and as they're all unconscious walks off and is about to exterminate all of humanity. I, I really want to, because we've been sort of disparaging about the artwork, I do want to highlight the panel where he is mind-blasting them because that's a, a great panel there. That is that is really good. Yeah, the pencil work, even the coloring is, is fairly decent on that, that where they're all sort of being shot back in anguish. It's, uh, I really like that panel. I, I think there's some great detail, like the nose, the uh, nose blood and stuff like that. I oh, actually yeah. quite like some of the passed out images as well. Yes, like, yes, totally. Like it's almost as if the art starts to work right at the end. Of the yeah. issue. <laughs> um, but that that is the end of Exiles One. We're left on the cliffhanger of the Exiles have accidentally unleashed a murderous Xavier. Whoopsie. Um, Whoopsie. <laughs> so yes, how did you feel? How did you feel delving back into Exiles, and how did you feel overall? issue one so i i had forgotten a little bit about magnus until i was rereading this for for reasons we won't mention yet um but it was great to see some of these characters that i really enjoy Uh, blink is one of my all-time favorite characters ever um and having her lead a team is is super fun um mimic you know i remembered how sort of stale he was at the beginning but how much i really came to enjoy him i love morph He's so fun and funny and enjoyable and visually interesting. I just, uh, I, I'm glad. The, uh, there are rumors that he's going to join the new Exiles book as well, so it was, it's good to it's good to hear that. Obviously, I've I have issues with how Thunderbird is drawn, but um, as far as his character goes, um, you know, even in this first issue, it's, it's kind of like whatever uh, characterization. He's, he's he's kind of bland as well, but overall, I was. I was happy to dive back in. It's a little disappointing that your memories of how issues used to look and how they actually look don't always align, which is what happened uh, for me with this issue. Because when I first read this, you know, when uh, back in 2001, I was in love with the artwork. But uh, I'm definitely not in love with the artwork now. But, um, you know, I, I would say if we're comparing it to the first Excalibur book, I would say that that is a better book even though it's you know uh, more pages and there's more time to delve into the character work um it's it's a decent issue but i i wouldn't i wouldn't read this issue and be like um i'm not going to read excels anymore because it didn't strike home with me because the series does improve as it goes along um so it was it was an okay issue with some some nice highlights and some questionable uh coloring yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, I do think like it leans too heavily on its cliffhanger 
uh, as as a way of returning um, readers. Mm-hmm. It's like instead of like leaning on the characters, it's like well, Blink's in it, and look at Evil Xavier, come back, please, <laughs> sort of thing. And w- which is, I think, I think I might be wrong, but I think the first four five issues have teething problems and then it hits its it starts to hit its stride um <clears throat> yes I when it agree. when they yeah. really when, when they really delve into the other characters mm-hmm. and um McCone's art improves um yes it does and obviously i think he shares art with someone else um later on uh art duties because they, they sort of swap and change between the two artists and um as a first issue I remember when I read this, I probably did the ex- I probably fell into the exact same trap which I just said that it designed, and I was like, "Oh, blinks in it!" and "Wow, an evil Xavier!" I probably did exactly that in two thousand and one, and went and bought and went and bought issue two. Um, I'm a massive Nightcrawler fan, sure. So seeing a female Nightcrawler was uh, ev- just interesting to me, um, and I think she visually is interesting and. However bland the characters come across, because they do, like, Morph's only defining feature in this issue is I'm slightly funny. Um, and pervy, yeah. <laughs> and pervy. And, like, Blink's like, well, I don't know. Um, maybe you should do it my way. And everyone else is just kind of just one-dimensional. But it's it's weird what you remember, because I... Mimic... Um, Blink, Nocturne, Thunderbird, and Morph. Us, uh, no offense to Magnus, have so many layers by like sure. issue six or seven. Yeah. When you delve into the past of like um, Thunderbird being tortured by Apocalypse and like how he feels about um, being part man, part whatever, and just like hitting head on the pervy nature of Morph and turning it on its head a little bit and just giving these characters a lot more to do. I just, it's hard to compare both books. Yes. Excalibur is a stronger one, but it has more pages sure. and Claremont's at like the height of his craft yes, and no offense to, to Winnick, but this is very much like a, you could reading this now, um, you could probably tell that it was kind of like, a. Um, well, we're going to try it, but it might not work. Yeah. As, as you mentioned, you can really feel it's a teething issue. Um, there are parts that work and parts that don't, and they're really working out what they're doing. Um, it's, it's very much like an old, an old sitcom, at least in, in the Americas, where uh, the first season might be a little bit hit and miss, but by season two or three, they've got all their ducks in a row and things are, are, are hitting full stride. I think, as you mentioned, maybe about issue four, it's just when you really start to feel attached to these characters, especially as they delve into, you know, more of the backstories and the feelings and emotions that they have. So it's, it's a promising start, but it's still like a, it's, it's a little bit disappointing to go back, uh, back to this, uh, even though I know it's going to get better. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's just that <clears throat> it hasn't aged well. Yes. Um, visually. And I think that's the that's its biggest crutch is that definitely it, it doesn't look as well as you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this and was the it, style for a while. This is how things were drawn for a while. Exactly, and it's kind of weird because two thousand and one, obviously, uh, next to this X book, um, we had uh, 
Frank, Frank Whiteley on um, New X-Men. So that book mm-hmm. just looked ridiculous in comparison. Right, right. <laughs> um, so it was kind of like... Um, and I think you had Salvador La Roca on, dare I say, uh, Extreme X-Men. Um, so you had a great art team there on a really shitty book. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I'd say it was visually out of the titles. It may have been the weakest at the time as well. Um, but, you know, Marvel gave this series a shot and it's a fan favorite series for a reason. And we'll get to that in in the next couple of issues. Yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, as we mentioned, it's not the greatest uh, first step, but it's it's not bad in any sense of the word. Uh, there's there's promise to it, and I think as as we get further into the issues, we're gonna our love for this series is gonna exude onto the mic, and hopefully all of you listening will, you know, especially if you have Marvel Unlimited, it's really easy to just pick this up and, and start reading along. So hopefully, everyone will uh, enjoy reading along with us. Excellent. Right, Dan. So how would you? Um, any sort of final thoughts on uh, on these two issues? I think it's the start of a beautiful journey for us both. Awesome. That's my that's my final thoughts. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, quick showrunners note here: we're going to try and put one of these out uh, once once a month. Um, we're going to do one issue of Exiles, one issue of Excalibur, uh, the the old Exiles, and when the new Exiles comes out, we'll try to cover that as well. And um, Maybe in a slightly different format, we'll probably do some ratings and delve more into panel by panel and 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 how that's being constructed. Um, and maybe we'll even do that as a separate podcast. Who knows? We might need a lot of time to just go into that, those new issues. Um, but but that's what we're looking forward to uh, in the future. Hopefully, everyone listening will will stick along and uh, show us some love. And I just want to say thank you all for listening. Cheers. And you will be able to get in touch with us. Because we'll have, by the time this goes out, we'll have a Twitter and everything else that people will need to send us lovely fan art of Blink. um, Or whatever else. I would love to see you you crazy morph uh, fan art as well. Because you could do anything with him. (laughs) Really good. You could do like a morph and Megan fan art. Oh, yeah. Perfect. You know, there's so many parallels here. I mean, you've got Nocturne and and um, Nightcrawler. You've got Morph and Megan. You've even got sort of the Blink and, and Nightcrawler or Blink and Nocturne sort of uh, body type going as well. I I feel like we're going to have a lot of parallels between this storytelling and um, the craziness that happens between these, these, and, these and two series. A big spoiler alert. Um, <gasps> A massive spoiler alert, but we won't get there for a very long time. These two ser- series actually converge at one point. Ooh. We can't tell you what iteration it is because we haven't got that yet. <laughs> It'll be a long time before we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> they do. They they do cross over at one point. There might be a whole different cast of characters at that point. <laughs> yes, no one will care by that point. <laughs> we'll have moved on. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to the first e- uh, episode of the Excaliboys. Excalibros. Sorry. Excalibros, right? Yeah, it's Excalibros. <laughs> boys makes it sound. Ex- boys makes it sound too 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 young. Excaliboys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
It sounds like we're being hollered by our uh, den mother. Um, <laughs> Time for dinner. <laughs> oh, God. Awesome. So, um, Dan, where can uh, people find you um, outside um, of uh, our upcoming Twitter page? Uh, we can find me on Twitter at uh, Gizmo1583, where I'm there trying to shine a light in the darkness of our poor society of comic book fandom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can find me at LA Boy Toy on Twitter, and you'll probably see us also appearing on the Stickcast uh, periodically as well. We love Jason, and you know, once we get set up, I, I think I'd like to have him jump in on uh, on uh, an episode here or there as well. Yes, definitely, especially when Excalibur has uh, X Men um, guest appearances. Oh yeah, we'll have to definitely. Cool. All right, so thanks everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.